Okay. How's everybody doing? We ready? Okay. Well, here we go. Um, it is a new year. You probably had some sort of new year routine. How many of you went to bed super early and just it was you, you were like, I'm taking advantage of the time and I'm sleeping. Smart people. Um, how many of you made a New Year's resolution? Yes? Would you just put your hand up. Claim it if you made a resolution. If you didn't, is it because you break your resolution so you just choose to not resolve yourselves? Listen, um, the new year is somehow this beautiful season because it's this natural break of what was to what will be. And we start oftentimes start taking, um, well, we start taking inventory. We start reflecting. And as is what usually happens, when we start evaluating the way things have been, we see a gap, a gap in the way we hope things would be. So I don't know if that hits you at all. But today we're starting this brand new series called Masterpiece in Progress. And I got to thinking about how we build masterpieces. There's a lot of questions when you're assembling. By the way, this is I found out that this is how they assemble uh, specialty items for canvas. They have these frames that you can select all sorts of different sizes. And then you're supposed to rubber mount them, but I'm trying to hang them together. And you put them together, and then you stretch the canvas over it, and you build art. And so this series is about what will be, and the picture maybe God is attempting to create in each and every one of us. I've entitled today's message, The End in Mind. The end in mind. And so we'll get started with that statement that I just said. When we start evaluating the way things have been, we see a gap in the way we hope things would be. See, people make resolutions at the beginning of the new year for all sorts of reasons. Most of the time, right, they are some sort of betterment of myself. Something physical, right? Um, how many times... Uh, you know, I'm going to get in shape this year, or I'm going to give up uh, coffee. Don't ever give up coffee, right? Um, I have a cup here. It says currently caffeinating. I wish I could put a permanently currently caffeinating, like a, make that a all the time thing. Um, sometimes it's like educational, right? People make resolutions like, I'm going to read more this year because I'm going to better myself through learning or through maybe even fiction or you know, you're just taking on a new hobby. Sometimes, um, maybe it's to stop doing something. I'm going to find time to rest, take time out of my schedule because I've realized as I've taken inventory, the me that I want to be uh, needs more time. <laughs> And it's so busy, I've chalked everything full. And so we have, we, we make these resolutions. But the problem is when I start evaluating the way things have been, I see a gap maybe in the way things should be. And so the question that goes along with that is, are any of us the us we want to be yet? 
Are you the you you want to be? Are we the us that we want to be? By the way, this doesn't just apply to our lives personally. When we think about the church, are we the church that we want to be? Yes. Are we the city or the society or the culture or the job? Or Like I could keep going, right? This just applies across the board. Are we the us we want to be? And I don't know if I am. Can I admit that as a pastor? I am a work in progress. And so I'm hopeful that over the course of this series, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians all the way through. We're going to spend nine weeks. I've never done a nine-week series. So we're going to spend nine weeks going through the book of Ephesians together on Sunday morning, hopefully answering this question. Because Ephesians is a letter about the picture of life in Christ. It's it's written so that, well, most of us, we don't even know what is available to us in Christ. Now, Ephesians is different than all the other letters of the New Testament because, well, not just because it was written from prison where Paul was in prison. It was written to the church, not to Ephesians. It was found in Ephesians, and so it got the name Ephesians. But it's different than the other letters because it doesn't address, you know, um, Bob, Bobby Sue saying, is Bobby Sue a person? I just made it. It doesn't address individual people, right? Um, you know, in, in specific ways, it addresses some very generalized things. And what it does for us um, it is absolutely amazing because it was meant to circulate to all the churches in Asia you get a picture of what life in Christ, what churches who are living and leaning into Christ are ultimately supposed to be picking up on. And what we find is that all of us are in progress. We're in process. But it paints a picture of not only what the process looks like, but what the end might just hold for us. So that's where we're going to explore Um, over the next few weeks, where is it all headed? And that's a tough question for each of us to answer for our lives. That's a tough question to answer for our church. What is 2019 going to hold? What is 2019 going to hold in my relationships, in my job, in my school? All of those are unanswered yet, but what we can say is that it's in progress. When you're building a masterpiece, the very first step is to create some sort of picture of where the whole thing is headed. What size to paint it in? What types of paints? What types of canvas? What type of backing? I didn't even know there was a thing. I thought you just painted on the canvas. You actually have to prime it with a different, and there's different types of backings for adhering different types of paints. There's different types of brushes and sizes, even different mixtures of colors of different types of paints, which create layers. I mean, okay, I took the metaphor too far, but the question is, do we have the end in mind? Where is it all headed? So with that 
said, let's jump into Ephesians chapter 1. And if you're following along, you can, on wayfinders.info, you can click the message notes, and you can actually write yourself notes if you're a note taker, um, and email them to you for your enjoyment later. So uh, good, good place to do that. So let's just jump in, starting verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This was what he wanted to do, and it gave him, everybody say that together, great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out onto us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showed us kindness, showed his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God now has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, check this out, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he would give us the inheritance he promised and that he purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. And that's a lot of scripture to bust through in one setting. And probably, if you're like me, by the time you get to the end of that, you forgot what the beginning of it said. So let's work through a little bit about this. Um, it is written in the Greek in a very, 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 very long run-on sentence. So if at any point in this reading you thought, I wonder if they could have worded this a little differently. Yes, they could have. I'm wondering if he was in a hurry in prison or something because this is just a really long sentence. Um, in English, we, you know, we put periods that you're like, what? what? Okay, so um, what he's doing, the writer is doing in this section, is redefining what the gospel or the good news or the purpose of Jesus really is. Okay, everybody tracking? This is it. God saved you. It's that simple, right? It even says it. You who believe in Christ, God forgives your sins. So that's essentially what the entire paragraph is saying. However, 
it starts with this bigger end in mind, and it begins to open up to us a picture of where all things are headed. So let's work back through it, maybe with a few verses, because this section and the gospel is going to ultimately scream that your life doesn't stay the same. And when you meet Christ, bad religion and the tyranny of evil in your life fade away. See, bad religion says that if I earn my way, I'm okay. And then you're always trying to prove your standing. No relationship ever works out when you're always trying to prove it. Also, neither does the tyranny of evil. If I never break free from my addiction, all of us are addicted in some shape or form. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's an attitude. Sometimes it's the chemicals. Like, we can keep going. If we can't break free from sin's grip, we also are missing out on Christ. So let's jump into it. Um, let's just jump straight into verse 4 if you want to throw that back on the screen. It's not in order, but throw it back on the screen for me. Um, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. Here's the thing about that sentence, how powerful it is. Before he made the world, a volition, a commitment, a choice. God chose and loved us. Those are powerful, active statements that if you applied to your life in 2019, I'm sure that alone would transform your year. Right? But think about this. God loves and chooses us, and here's the caveat, to be holy. Guys, do we know what that word holy really means? See, when I was growing up, there was um, a term. Maybe it's still popular. Goody-goody? Anybody rem remember that term? Oh, you're just a goody-goody. You're one of those holy roller people. And then, you know, once you got higher up, you were holier than thou. You stop being so holier than thou. Anybody ever said that to someone else? Anybody ever been called that? Yeah, listen. This type of holiness is not just about our own personal piety or our own goodness. This word holiness is to be consecrated, to be pulled and set apart. Why? If God would choose us and love us to be choose us to be holy, what is he really saying? The gospel is this love relationship where you get to experience the true purpose, the true nature of what we really are. I'm convinced that most of my life I've walked around wondering if I'm okay with who I am. 
if I could figure that one out, I would be okay. Right? Because all my insecurities come from a place where I don't know who I am. But if I know whose I am, then it begins to define me. If I know whose I am, if I've been set apart for a relationship, if I've been set apart for a purpose, then all of the sudden I know that this relationship is ultimately what's going to bring me purpose and direction. I'm one of those people, if you're one of those people who said, I don't make resolutions. I'm one of those people who often don't make resolutions because I get trapped by not knowing which one's mine. Right? Which one's the most important? How do I know? I don't know what my life is going to look like in six months, so why am I planning for it now? If I know whose I am, I don't have to worry about that. Because my purpose is already defined. It's defined in the relationship. I'll give you an example. I don't know what my life is going to look like in six months. That's for sure. But I am in relationship with my wife. And I know because I'm in relationship with her, that has some parameters which point me in a specific direction that I can say these are things that are ultimately going to be required as a part of this relationship that we both subscribed to and said yes to and chose each other, and that ultimately means I have to work on this and this and this, and I have to care for the kids. and I have to, like, right? There's a list, a laundry list, maybe sometimes it's actually laundry, of things that happen because I've said yes to this relationship. The same thing is true with a relationship with God. He choose, he chose, he loves and he chooses us to be holy, to be set apart for his purpose. And then, verse 5, God adopts us into the family. If that's not enough, like, you got to think, choosing, like, I can choose to love anyone I want, but adopting into the family is like a permanent situation. God makes it permanent by adopting us into his family, into the family business, by bringing us to himself through his son. This is what he wanted to do, and this is what it says, he gives us great pleasure. That's the part that you know. He gives God great pleasure that we would be rich in kindness, that he forgave our sins, and at the right time, this is the plan, this is what it says, at the right time, he's going to bring everything under unity. He's going to bring all things to unity, in love, praises, glorifies, honors God. This picture is not just a picture for right now. Because being unified with Christ and being in that family relationship has some purposes. It's a picture for where everything is headed. So later in other places, Paul says things like all things, all people, 
our being restored and renewed in Christ. Here he says, all things are being summed up and united in Christ. The gospel isn't just for you in your life. Now, if it was just you in your life, it would be enough. Because he loves you and chose you before. It would be enough that God would choose you. You were the only person created. Still chooses. Still chooses. Still says it's still enough. Right? But the picture of where the end is, and the writer of Ephesians is picking up on this long arc of the whole plot of the scripture, which says we were made to be in relationship. We walked around hand in hand, knowing whose we were. And what sin does is it corrupts that relationship because it brings chaos and distrust and manipulation and we start believing into lies about whose we are and what's most important. And when that happened, it was like a curtain. What went from not exchanged and whole became broken and shattered. And so the writer is saying, at the end of time, it's not just you, friend, in your heart and life that are restored and united. It's all of creation. You guys ever watch HGTV? I'm like a HGTV addict when I get time. This is never. Um, but what I love to see is how creative these minds are with taking these old junky dumps and somehow seeing something that no one else saw and bringing it to life for function, for aesthetic beauty, but more importantly this, some of these houses become homes. A home is bigger than a house. A home is bigger than the fact that the bathroom works and that there's, there's this beautiful concrete Spanish tile or that brass decoration on the wall. It's this place that breathes life. And one of the episodes of Fixer Upper, I don't know if you guys watch Fixer Upper, um, you drive through Waco, you can't not see it. Um, but there's an episode where the, the couple that does the rehabbing finds this home, and it's literally a, a home on, on stilts, and it's a shell of a house. And they have to actually move the shell of the house to a different lot, which is a garbage dump. And so they clean the garbage dump, and they put this shell of a house on this garbage dump. And then... They can't make it work right, so they scrap the roof, and they build a second story. And then they don't have all the parts, so they go to a neighboring house that's about to be demolished, and they say, could we have this one too? And they get parts from the old house, and they start putting old floor in this new house from an old house that's about to be destroyed. And they begin doing all of these things, and they create this beautiful The writer of Ephesians is basically saying, you're Christ. The whole world is like that house. It's a broken down shell. And, and we, we may need pieces. 
from over here and over there and over there. And it may need to be moved, but we may need to clear the garbage dump. But eventually, all things are going to be put together. And what we're going to have is this priceless home designed specifically for us to be together. That's a powerful, powerful picture. And as we explore the rest of this book, we're going to get into some of the specifics of that. The end, by the way, in Greek, that's the word teleos or telos, right? The end, as the writers talk about it, is where God is purposing, desiring, choosing, working, designing, like all of those things where God is taking us, the kicker is that you and I get to decide. Because it says this, furthermore, because we are united in Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose, right, was that we would bring praise and glory And you who have heard the truth, the good news that God saved you, when you believed it, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Some versions of that verse in verse 13 would say God put his seal, like a royal seal, on you. He identified you as his own and gave you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he has purchased us to be his own people. God chooses you. Now, did God know that you and I would be broken down homes with rotten floors, honest floors, left in the dust? Yeah. is the essence of the gospel. That there's no house, no person that is too far gone that cannot be restored back to the life that God has for you and for me. And by the same token, there is no space in the world, in the universe, some scriptures will say, that is not in the process of being renewed and restored and made new. It's not there yet, but it is happening. That is the good news of Christ. Okay, um, so the, the kind of final part about this that I need you to get is the gospel screams that your life does not stay the same. That bad religion and evil tyranny don't win, but it also screams that pardon and restoration are just the beginning. They're just the beginning. So when we take a step back and we look at the year that was and the year that is ahead, and we begin to see the gap between the us we had and the us we want to have. 
there's a danger that we buy into the lie of the gap. You guys know what I'm talking about when I talk about the lie of the gap? The lie of the gap is, well, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because it says things like, I'll never be enough. Has anybody ever thought that? About anything. About a job, about a relationship, about a standing with God. I'll never be enough. That is a lie in the gap. There's also a lie on the flip side that says, I am enough, as if I have earned my standing. That, too, is a lie, because that's not built on a relationship. That's not built on love. That's built on transaction. And the transaction was only so far as a display of the affection of the relationship, right? So here's the thing. This gap, it does some serious things to us. You know, I went in searching if there's like an actual psychological movement for um, self-fulfilling prophecy. Turns out there is. There's like a huge, uh, if you're into psychological stuff, there's like a huge subculture of psychological education around this idea of self-fulfilling prophecy. And do you know how it got defined? This is defined like 120 years ago like this. It says this, a false definition of a situation evoking a new behavior which makes the original false conception come true. In other words, I believed in a lie, and I believed in the lie so much I changed my behavior, which made the lie come true. See, when we identify that gap, we are in danger of believing a lie about ourselves. How many of you have ever used the phrase or heard the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? I have used that phrase. Can I confess it? I hate that phrase. You know why? Because how it defines me as a sinner. It doesn't define me free, saved from my sins. God says I'm free. It defines me as not enough. God says he chose me anyway. It defines me as less than. God says, no, 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 you're a part of the family. You get everything that this family has. Are you kidding me? Why would I settle for less? Or why would I try to prove my standing when it was handed to me anyway? Both of those are lies we believe about ourselves, but it doesn't just stop there. Self-fulfilling prophecy lies, the gap in the lies of the way things are and the way things we wish or know they should be works with other people too. Where do you think racism and bigotry and hatred come from? If I have to prove my standing, then you have to be less than me. If I'm not sure where I stand, right, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rip everybody else down. This is a lie because we don't believe the truth of the gospel. That God chose all of us. To be opened up with our hearts. That it's made free for each and every one of us. See, when we see others as less than, or when we see other people as better than us, I'll never be like them. They're hyper-spiritual. He's the pastor. He's got a direct connection with God. I got news for you. So do you. So do you. 
And so we get to live in this thing where we create these self-fulfilling prophecies where we admit to ourselves we're somehow less than or more than or you're less than or more than and that's how we define you. And then we're surprised when people change. Um, This doesn't just stop with ourselves or others. It goes all the way back. We believe lies about God all the time. I could never step foot in church because God would strike me with lightning. I would be choking, smitten, shot. I'm not sure how that word goes. The past term of smite. But we often believe that, right? We choose to disengage from church because our lives aren't together. I don't want to be around those people. They'll see my mess. That's actually a lie we're believing about God, that God's grace can't cover our mess. There's there's this gap of the us we have and the us we know we should have in Christ, and all of a sudden we believe the lie that tells us, oh, okay, God is this way, so now I'm less than. So I disengage because I believe the wrong thing about God. God says, I've chosen and loved. The whole world is headed this direction. I'm empowering you to get on board with that. Um, it, it also plays out in a bigger sense of how we think the whole world works. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. By the way, Jesus' response is over my dead body. So, are we going to believe these self-fulfilling prophecies that are good is evil and it's never going to get better? Or are we going to believe the truth of the gospel? That you and I can become the life, the person, the the individual, and the church, and the world in Christ that we know to be true. So as we close in this, I, I want to invite you to see things the way Ephesians sees them. And see the world differently. It doesn't buy into the lie of the gap. It says, no, if you're going to have a prophecy, don't make it a false one. Make it a true one. If you're going to have a self-fulfilling prophecy, let it be based on the reality that God is in the business of loving us and choosing us to be holy and without fault. That is, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Ephesians will invite us to see it all differently towards the true reality of God's promises. And if you were listening and paying attention, then maybe like me making resolutions, you start out by saying, I can't even picture what that life is supposed to look like. I can't even envision. I can't envision that person. The promise of the Holy Spirit goes deeper. He 
because the moment you believe that Christ saves you, you get the deposit, the seal, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit begins to shape us and transform us. The Holy Spirit enables us to hear, see, picture the life and the world God has for each and every one of us. You know, earlier, we read the last part of Ephesians that we would come to this understanding of God's eternity for all who believe. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That power is yours because you and I have the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. When we become a part of the family, that's the inheritance. God's presence is fully with us. God's voice inside of us. God leading us into the church. But verse 18 of this chapter says this. We are God's inheritance. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and So which is it? Is God's presence our inheritance or are we his? The answer is yes. And eventually, what we'll learn is that God is using the church, his people, for a lot of things. Set on the shelf of the universe, on display for all. That's what Ephesians is going to get to. So when you can't picture the end that God has in mind for you or what you need to step into in 2019, what you need to do is to stop and in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your fears about who God is and about who you are and about the standings and all the lies and self-fulfilling prophecies you believe, is you need to listen to the Holy Spirit, which is the voice of truth. So I want to invite you to stand. There's a song. We've never done it here. And I want you to sing it with our band as a prayer and a declaration of listening to the Holy Spirit. The song is called Prophesy Your Promise. And the words are stark and vulnerable starts out with the line, I found you in the middle of my mess. You've been there all along. Open arms and open heart, you called me in, you didn't hesitate to stay. And the lies I once believed, they crumble with the weight of your truth. And the fears that grip my heart and direct so that I can a lot of times we only see hard 
want me to have a self-esteem crisis. I want it based on the truth. Which means you have to tell fear and shame and brokenness and the lies where to go. Because that's the reality of the season. They end up in hell when you unite yourself with Would you stand and sing this song this morning? Maybe inviting God to the picture of your life in 2019.